one thing this past year has taught all of us, it's that the future can contain surprises. I mean, if you had told us back in 2019 that within six months we'd be attending business meetings in suit jackets and no pants, well, we would have said you were crazy. So thanks for that twist, 2020. But still, all, all things being equal, there are certain things about the future we can anticipate with a high degree of confidence. Um, for example, in the future, our cars will drive themselves to work, which I, for one, am really looking forward to because it means there's at least a chance I'm gonna get to church someday without wearing breakfast down the front of my shirt. In the future, computers will be operated with eye movement and forest fires will be fought with sound waves instead of water. In the not too distant future, we're going to reverse engineer a small dinosaur from a chicken, which I think we can agree will be our crowning achievement as a species. Well, you know, in the, in the late Old Testament period, um, the people of Israel began to talk a lot about what would happen in the future. And you might've noticed that people tend to talk about the future a lot when the present isn't going so hot. And basically the situation was that for centuries, uh, the people and particularly their leaders, but together they'd been making all kinds of destructive choices and the consequences began rolling in and things got really bad in their world for a while. Um, but, but just when it seemed like everything in their lives, everything in their world was just coming apart at the seams, um, the prophets speaking for God showed up to tell the people, hey, it isn't gonna end this way. Uh, regime change is coming. God is going to step in here and take over management of the system and a whole new era of history is going to begin when God is in charge. That, that new era of history came to be known as the age to come. You've heard of BC and AD, this is like AC, a, a new era of human history. And each one of the prophets began to talk and offer different descriptions of like, what is this new era of history actually gonna look like? Um, Micah um, gives one little snapshot of the future when he says, in the future, nations will not take up sword against nations. They won't learn how to make war anymore. All will sit under their own grapevines and under their own fig trees. Uh, this is basically an ancient way of saying that in the future, everyone's gonna have a home, a tree to hang their hammock in, a place they feel safe and comfortable. And not only that, but grapevines are a way you make a living. In the future, no one is going to kind of spill their blood making wealth for the man. Everyone is going to be able to eat of the fruit of their own labor. Now, Jeremiah offers a different kind of snapshot of the future. He says that in the future, they will no longer need to say to each other, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Now, according to Jeremiah, in the, this future era that's coming, the only people unemployed will be the pastors because pastors are awesome. Don't get me wrong, especially yours. But if you have a chance to have coffee with God, you go out with God instead. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, he says that in the future, I, God, will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll give you my spirit so that you can walk according to my regulations. 
If you read the larger context of what Ezekiel's talking about here, he's basically describing a future era in which there aren't going to be a whole lot of laws and, and policies to govern everything. You wouldn't have to say, eat your vegetables, everyone, if kale tasted as good as pizza. When God's spirit comes in this future and dwells inside of people, Ezekiel says, basically, people will begin craving the same things that God craves. When that happens, you don't really need a bunch of rules anymore. And the prophet Isaiah says that in the future, they will beat their sores into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. I mean, in other words, in this future that God is bringing, there won't be a need for weapons anymore because God will be responsible for safety. I mean, in that situation, you need a weapon as much as you need typewriter ribbon or like a pager. You might as well just start a new recycling program. I mean, this future, it, it sounds pretty great, right? I mean, please go ahead and sign me up for the war-free vineyard-owning coffee with God life. When exactly is this new world going to get started? Well, uh, the prophets offer the people a little bit of a timeline. I mean, the, the prophets say this, this messed up world as you know it, it it's basically going to just keep right on rolling for a while until bang, out of nowhere, like a meteor striking at night, the world as you know it is going to end. And the next thing that'll happen is that God will raise the dead. Um, because if you think about it, it wouldn't be very fair if you didn't get to participate in this newer, better future just because you, say, died early rescuing a baby or something. So the dead will be raised and God will send God's spirit and then the new era of history will begin. The age to come where God's will will be done on earth in everything, just as it's always been done in heaven. So, so that's the timeline the prophets lay out to expect and everybody is watching the sky waiting for the meteor to strike. And then along comes Jesus. The first witnesses describe the ministry of Jesus um, with a summary statement where they say in Mark 1, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news and saying, now is the time, here comes God's kingdom. And when people hear Jesus saying this, it's, it's not like they're confused. They know exactly what he's talking about. And Jesus is saying that that new era of history that the prophets have been talking about is about to start. It's, it's here, it's coming. So, so everybody's all excited about it, hearing Jesus make this announcement. And then Jesus dies. This really isn't, super unexpected because the thing is there's always somebody who benefits from the old broken world order who doesn't take really well the idea of someone coming around announcing a new one. Uh, but a few days after Jesus is killed, hundreds of witnesses begin to spot him walking around again. Uh, a few weeks after that, God's spirit descends on Jesus's followers in such a dramatic, visible way that nobody can be in any doubt that it happened. That's the day we call Pentecost. Now, just to recap, this is exactly what the prophets said to expect when the new era arrived. Dead people resurrected, check. 
God's spirit given, double check, the new era is here. Except uh, there are a couple of discrepancies in the timeline you might've picked up here. Um, First of all, uh, we've got one dead guy who's resurrected and walking around and that's really great, but the rest of the cemetery still looks pretty occupied. And second, where exactly is this meteor that was supposed to strike and like give us a blank slate, clear the field? Look around. Uh, Landlords, rich landlords are still squeezing blood out of the people renting from them. Roman soldiers are still nailing people to wood. Religious leaders are still prancing around, sticking up their nose at people who just sneeze wrong. I mean, if this is 2021, it's like, where's my jetpack? This doesn't look anything like the future I thought I was promised. Well, it, it turns out that while the prophets got a lot right, there were a few twists in the timeline they didn't quite foresee. And instead of that meteor striking and, and wiping everything, giving a blank slate, what we end up having is actually a period of overlap. That, that present messed up world and that future world, the, the, the old order and the new order, it, it's like they're running on parallel tracks. The new era has arrived, but a lot of people, it turns out, haven't noticed that fact. They're still sort of bumping along on the old world train. Uh, It reminds me of some kind of James Bond field (laughs) film. They're, They're just bumping along on that old world train, never realizing that line that they're on, it's about to run out of track. Salvation, when Christians talk about the story of salvation, this is the story we're talking about. It's it's something that is so much bigger than just only what happens after we die. Um, We're talking about a, a chance to change from an old world order to a new world order, a chance to change trains at the station to get on this future line that that doesn't only have the benefit of a through track, but also offers a completely different journeying experience than the old, outdated, moldy, decaying model. We're talking about a chance to start living the tomorrow the prophets promised today. Now, Uh, A couple of weeks ago when we began this series, um, Hank gave us a quote from Gordon Fee, who says that Christians are basically the community of people who are living the life of the future in the present. We are people living the life of the future in the present. And something about that description of Christians has really captured my imagination. Christians kind of have a bad reputation for living in the past. Now, I know I don't have to tell some of you this. Uh, Maybe your experience with Christians has been mostly as people who seem to be obstacles to progress. People who defend the status quo. People whose mission appears to be to preserve the music of the 1890s or the social structure of the 1950s. If that's been your experience of Christians, let me just say, I hear you, I see you. Um, You're not wrong. All of that has too often been true. But the church, it it wasn't designed and established to preserve some antiquated religious system. 
Jesus didn't go around recruiting followers to help him defend some ancient set of rules. Christians were never meant to be reminders of the 1950s or even of 50 AD. Jesus' followers were designed and called to be visitors from 15,000 visitors from the future, bringing back this fresh hope and vision of a different kind of human existence. I mean, when Jesus went around recruiting followers, what he was recruiting them for, this thing called the kingdom of God, um, was basically recruiting for a future world, a, a different world that hasn't existed yet. And then Jesus was calling people and sending them back to their own time back to 2021 with customs and practices that are so strange and so wonderful that the rest of the world hasn't dreamed of them yet. There's only really one question that defines the Christian life, Christian behavior, Christian ethics, everything Jesus' followers are meant to be. And that that question is, what will the future be like? What will the future be like? Whatever the future will be, that's the thing we're meant to be doing right now. And we haven't just been left on our own to kind of guess or, or predict what the future will be. And this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus is the OG future guy. He is the first person come to the future. Everything he does is designed to show and tell what the future will be like. Uh, according to Jesus, in the future, there won't be rich people and poor people because everything will be recognized as God's and available for sharing. In the future, uh, relationships will transcend all those normal human divides because God's kingdom, it has no borders. In the future, no one will be lonely. Everyone will have a family and a, a place of connection and belonging because family will be defined not by blood, but by the DNA of Christ. In the future, there will be no violence and coercion because everything will be done in the light. In the future, even plants and animals will flourish because power will be exercised in self-service. This is the vision of the future Jesus gives. And it's not something he communicated just so we could all sit around daydreaming about it when life gets hard. He called his followers to begin to live that future right now. And imagine with me for a second, imagine a people who live with their wallets, their bank accounts open and accessible in some way to each other because they care for each other and trust God to provide for them both. Imagine a people committed to using their own bodies as bridges between divided groups. I mean, imagine in cultures like many cultures in the West that are dealing with epidemic levels of loneliness. Imagine a people who are dreaming up new paradigms for how we think about family and housing and connection. I mean, imagine a people who commit themselves together to use no violence, but instead to take on themselves collectively the cost of their enemy's healing. Imagine a people who are committed to using all of their gifts and talents to climb down the ladder to serve instead of up the ladder to exploit. This is what we were meant to be as the people of Jesus. And you better believe if we do these things, we would look really strange to our neighbors, uh, but not strange like people trying to bring 1950 back. Strange like Star Trek, 
a strange like voyagers from a future that no one else has seen yet. And this is where Christian living and Christian ethics begin to grow into Christian mission. Because as concerns the rest of the world, what we, the people of Jesus are, is essentially a preview of coming attractions. A preview of coming attractions. When I was in graduate school, I spent a few months working in a country overseas that had little access to modern healthcare and really poor nutrition. Now, a friend of mine who is much better traveled than I am had the smart plan of bringing with her this big bag of prenatal vitamins to supplement her diet. And while we were there, we ended up working with this man who was just incredibly difficult to work with. He, he was a, a local man who was just constantly angry and surly and mean in all of our interactions. And we didn't know where it was coming from or what to do about it. But one day at our wit's end, uh, my friend decided to just put some of her prenatal vitamins in a bag and present them to him as a gift. Uh, she didn't tell him what they were because we, we weren't sure what he would uh, make of the prenatal part. Um, but, but sometime later, this man came back to us and he was glowing. He was so happy. He was so kind. It, it turned out that this pain that had been gnawing at him, gnawing at his head for years, had completely vanished once he'd started taking these vitamins. His nutrition deficit was finally met. He had no clue where they'd come from or exactly how they worked. He just knew he had never felt better in his entire life. Now, I think of this man and the wonder in his face, and I think this is how Christian mission is meant to work. People who live and work and play around Christians are meant to experience this kind of well-being deep in the depths of their bones. Um, when the gospel writers want to describe the ministry of Jesus, they often say two things about it. And Matthew says this in Matthew 4. Jesus announced the good news of the kingdom and he healed every sickness and disease among the people. He announced and he healed. Basically, the ministry of Jesus was telling people a new world was coming and then offering them tastes of its breakthrough possibilities. Now, that's the ministry of the future that Jesus conducted and that's the ministry of the future he calls his followers to. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, like, ministry of the future, breakthrough possibilities. I can barely use the basic features of my iPhone. Like, how am I supposed to be a part of something like that? I'm not Jesus. Well, let me just tell you that before Jesus performed a single miracle or preached a single sermon, before Jesus did anything of this incredible ministry he's known for, um, the gospel writers tell us he went out in the desert to be baptized. And when he was baptized, he saw the spirit coming down and landing on him like a dove. Now, I used to wonder why that was so important, kind of skim straight past it. But this is a crucial moment in the ministry of Jesus. Um, because Philippians tells us when Jesus came as one of us, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of all his divine powers and privileges so that he came as one of us with our capacities and limitations. The ministry of Jesus was only possible because it was fueled by the spirit of God. This is why the gospel writers tell us and the rest of the New Testament tell us that the spirit is the crucial defining marker of the beginning of the new age. Because th this future we're all waiting for, it isn't gonna be powered by human strength or human cleverness or human ingenuity. It's going to be powered by the fuel of the future, the spirit of God. 
mean, Paul says in Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance. The, the down payment on our inheritance. The spirit is the first installment of that future that God promised. It is the fuel of the future. But we can't get to that future without it any more than we can get to Andromeda with the same gas that gets us to the gas station. A whole different level of power is needed. As the people of Jesus, we were meant to represent the breakthrough possibilities of the future for the rest of the world. And that's not going to come from us. If you don't feel strong, if you don't feel courageous, if you don't feel clever enough, smart enough, it's okay. Just know you have the power, the fuel of the future living inside you by the spirit. I mean, while the rest of the world is reaching for Mars, we have capabilities as the people of Jesus of bringing stories back from new galaxies. This is our destiny, not to call people backwards, but to call people forward to the world's new God-breathed horizons. Thank you, Megan. That's really wonderful to get us on this train of thought of what does it mean to be future people, not just fueled by our own um, capabilities, but fueled by what God promised and has given us through relationship with him through the spirit. So this is great. We're not done just now. We're going to spend time having a conversation about some of these ideas. So Megan's going to be jumping back in along with our friend Oshita Moore, who is one of our friends from Woodland Hills in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis. No, same. Yeah, that's right. We can, we slag, we slag, yeah. <laughs> we can hashtag, um, hyphen them. Um, but Moshita, would you just share a little bit about who you are so that our viewers get to connect to you? Hey, <laughs> sorry about that. Hey, Lisa, and uh, that was such a good word, Megan. Um, my name's Oshita Moore. I'm one of the teaching pastors at Woodland Hills, and I also serve um, alongside my husband for a an intentional community in the Midway area called Roots Covenant. Um, and I I write, so I write about peacemaking, shalom, and um, anti-racism. And um, I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation. Great. Yeah. And even in like our pre-conversation, the three of us were all basically loving on each other. Like, I love this about you. So this is wonderful <laughs> that we get a chance to have a conversation uh, in front of our friends as well. Um, Megan, I loved how you talked about like taking us from the old time, old covenant and what the prophets were saying through to Jesus coming and through to what that means now. Because when you even said like, um, if we're feeling at our wits end, like we're not sure how we're gonna do it. Yeah, we read in the Old Old Testament about individuals who are gifted with the spirit of God for strength, for creativity. But then the pivot is it's accessible to everybody because of Jesus. Yeah. And so even, I would love you to comment on that, Oshita, like how does Jesus in the center of all of this make a difference? Yeah, I think what I, what I, often think about is that Jesus totally gets it. Like Jesus became human and he came to announce this new way of, of being human, um, a new way of living this new world order as Megan mm -hmm. puts it. And it's so encouraging to me to, or it's so, so important for me to put Jesus at the center of it because if he can do it empowered by the Holy spirit, and then he invites his friends to come alongside him and do it. Um, then I feel like, okay, I have a model in, 
in Jesus, even if it's, even if it pushes me, even if it's challenging, even if it's scary, there's a model in Jesus and there's the comfort of knowing that it's all spirit. It's all spirit fueled. You know, I keep thinking of like Zechariah four, six, another prophet who painted a picture of what this new world would look like. And he was taken out and he was, he saw all these different elements of the new world, like olive branches and olive trees. And then the Lord said to him, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And so it's just this reminder that, um, we can do this. We can be this, these future people um, empowered by the Holy Spirit because Jesus modeled it before us. Yeah, Megan, do you want to jump on that idea as well? Yeah, well, I think in terms of understanding Jesus, like the key thing I, I always try and keep in mind is Jesus is doing two things. Um, he's showing us what, with perfect knowledge who God is, what God is like, and he's also showing us with perfect practice who humanity can be um, when we grow fully in the image of God and are obedient to the desires of God. So that's the kind of paradox of Jesus, right? It's, it's the vision of who God is, but also the vision of what humanity can be. Yeah. And and that's actually something that I do love about, you know, at least us in their Anabaptist tradition and part of, you know, Mennonite movement too, um, is that it's not simply looking at Jesus as an impossible figure, that he is a figure that we can relate to and because he has related to us in his humanity, um, but also showing us what God is like. I love how you played that out. Um, I wanted to get to some practical applications of what this looks like in different areas of our life. But there's also something I was, I was hoping, Oshita, you would just share. We talked about in like our pre-chat about these different areas of the way, you know, this future thinking intersects with our relationships. So would you just highlight, and I don't even remember what you talked about. I think it was like how human flourishing, you know, so when we think about the future, what does human flourishing look like? So if you could just lay out those areas for us, that would, that would be awesome. Oh, well, I mean, I think Megan did a really good job in painting all these different mm. areas of human flourishing. I mean, I would just say, you know, one of the areas that is really important to me is we, I feel like both of our countries are acknowledging um, race and, and acknowledging our, our particular response to multicultural interracial relationships. And that is an area that the whole world is actually really looking in at. I, I think about how when George Floyd was murdered right here in, in my city, um, how there were protests and everywhere all across the world and, and all these like conversations around race and race conciliation and what does it mean to actually pay attention to these dynamics were happening and for a lot of people for the first time these conversations mm. were happening and so one of the areas that I think that we have a unique calling for um, in this moment as peacemakers is to lead the charge in these conversations to be courageous um, to be spirit led and enter into, into these conversations to learn and to, um, and to and to do our best to relieve the trauma and the oppression that many of our BIPOC um, brothers and sisters are experiencing um, and to do our best to, you know, to bring peace and to end in the violence that has really been rooted in a lot of these, um, in a lot of the things that have been caused because of racism. So I think that that's one area of flourishing that we can be curious about and invite yeah. the spirit into. That's great. Yeah. And that's us in relationship with other people. And I know you in some of your writing talk about like us with God, what does it look like to have a flourishing relationship with God, with ourselves? And then with mm -hmm. even as you mentioned, uh, race, that the systems around us that can be broken. Um, so Megan, I'd love your thoughts on, you know, even practical application 
on yeah. the system of like family or what it looks like for uh, feeling like you belong to family if you may not have a biological one. Right. Well, this is an area I'm really passionate about right now. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been doing a, a lot of research and writing on loneliness and just the way that it is uh, affecting people in such serious psychological and physical ways, um, particularly across Western cultures. And, you know, Jesus had really radical things to say about family. <laughs> I think his teachings on family are often underestimated, um, mm -hmm. that were very disruptive to sort of systems of thinking about family that are all bloodline oriented. Um, part of his invitation and his promise and coming into his future, his new kingdom, um, was that there was a new kind of family under formation. And, you know, I, I think even myself as a single person, I've benefited so much um, from relationships with Christians who've had a fresh imagination about what family could be. Um, even during COVID, when I was stuck alone in my apartment a lot and feeling really isolated, I ended up being invited by a woman in her mid eighties to move in with her and just do life together with her for a while. And we're both benefiting from that in so many ways. And I think we have not been nearly creative enough in thinking about how, how do we have conversations about how family is constituted, how we mm -hmm. think about about family in the church? Could we even think about housing and our living situations in ways that are more creative and, and would bless more of us than just everybody kind of living in their own castle surrounded by their lawn moat, as happens in a lot of areas in the West? I want to keep going kind of with this idea of like these imagine what if, like what are these practical applications? Because we've had a few people send in questions and I'm going to kind of mush them together. But it's kind of this idea of like, is, is this just a test that God's giving us? Like when we say, imagine if, is this actually like, is this practical or is this just a far off imagination test or is this like complete fantasy? What God is presenting to us. Okay, vote shaking your head. No, Sheeta, <laughs> Megan and Megan, if you wanna start, let's, let's start with you. Yeah, absolutely not fantasy. I mean, I, I think the part of what the work the Bible is doing is forming imaginations for a different possibility so we can start living a different possibility. Um, that often what is constraining us most is just, we haven't imagined, we haven't begun to envision that things could be different than how they are. Um, so part of the work scripture and Jesus is doing is expanding that imagination so we can take new risks as people who are secure in, in the love of God, like who are secure here and grace holding us to say, like, how could we leap into, into new territory, take mm -hmm. more risks? Um, even for example, like my community during COVID, some people did really well financially. Some people who might've lost jobs were really struggling. Like we pooled a lot of resources together so that some who had an abundance could share with those who don't. Um, that's a real risk right here, right now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not fantasy, right? It's possible if we're willing to trust God in each other. Good. Rashida, you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I have, um, that I constantly encourage people to is to trust the Spirit. Like, trust the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knows your context, knows your heart, knows your capacity, and the Spirit will guide you, will show you how to, how to, to live into that new, this new way of being in whatever context you're in with whatever you know, problem or, or issue is put in front of you. And I mean, I think that one of the things that we could do more of is brainstorming together. And so we have a, not, we have a need that's presented to us and we make space, not just to pray for that or, uh, you know, send in, you know, a request for, to the blessed fund, but we sit together and we pull out a whiteboard or we pull out a piece of paper and we kind of just 
throw ideas all together and trust the spirit to kind of help us come up with something creative that mm. really blesses that particular community with your resources in that moment. I think that is that is one of the things that I think would be so um would be so captivating about believers uh, to others who look in to say, wow, they are so creative and they are willing to try new things. Like when I was pregnant with our first uh, child, we we were struggling and I ended up living uh, in an intentional community with another pregnant woman. Um, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences. She was a Mennonite woman. And she like spoke to a lot of my fears around motherhood. She like gave me, I gave, she told me when the contractions start to bake bread, because then I can just like work all of my like pain into the dough. And like, so she just created this community around me and just gave me so much hope about being a mother that met our financial need because we were struggling in New Orleans, but also met my community need uh, and, and helped me become the mother that I knew that God wanted me to be. And that was like a creative idea. She just kind of threw out in front of us. Um, and so I think we need to be open to the spirit and have fun dreaming about how we can be the kingdom people right here on earth as it is in heaven. I can think some people's question may be, okay, that's good and well and good. You've talked about the spirit, both like that's been the topic of this morning that the spirit is the fuel, but how do I actually access that? Like it's good and like, you know, she just say, you're saying, you know, we can brainstorm together and trust what the spirit's doing. If both of you could just even give like 30 second, like what, how does that work in your own life to access that? Oshita, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, well, first I think we have, I come up from, I came from a very Pentecostal background where the spirit was just kind of this overwhelming, um, massively intimidating, you know, presence in our worship. And what I've had to learn just kind of like what we just heard with Megan in our, in the sermon, the spirit rested on Jesus and the spirit walked along. The spirit was, was, um, with the disciples, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy spirit. And then the spirit was with the disciples. So I think we have to kind of just take a deep breath and kind of like demystify the spirit a little bit to that it's not this like sl slay us in the spirit or like all this like warm, like weird feelings or gold filling in our teeth or whatever. Like some of that, some of that stuff happens, but I, but I think we often kind of have mythologized the spirit. The spirit is um, our comforter. The spirit is our helper. The spirit um, brings us back to Jesus. And so I would say if you are presented with something and you sense that there's something you can do, that 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 it pushes you, it's a risk that will bring flourishing and wholeness. Um, that's that's different than what you've maybe thought of. That might that that might be the spirit guiding you into doing that. Um, and I think one of the things that we can we should do, or an idea is to kind of find different spiritual practices to help you slow down, to be still, and be quiet, so that you can kind of get a sense of how the spirit speaks to you and guides you and moves you. So when those instances happen, you're like, oh, that's that's the spirit. That's the spirit. Yeah, I, I the way one of my like key ways of knowing is I'm like, this is an inconvenience. Like, so it's not something that's necessarily um, over a, like super, super terrible risky, but in the moment it is an inconvenience to what I would have planned <laughs> or my time. And that's a good tell for me if I'm like, that's God, because he's asking me to think outside of myself. Megan, how about you? What right. would be sort of your thoughts on the accessing the spirit and also demystifying yeah. the spirit? Like Oshita yeah. said. 
I love what Oshita said there because I think as so many so many of us get in this kind of magical thinking that makes the spirit sound super either scary and intimidating or like we have to know some special trick to access what the spirit is doing. Um, and in fact, like talking to Christians about the spirit is like talking to fish about water. Um, if you were a follower of Jesus, you were already swimming in the water. Um, so one of my just very basic practical principles on this, like I always tell people, um, just like the spirit is God's empowerment and God's guidance already functioning in your life. So just begin by following the nudge. Like if, if you feel a small impulse to like, go a certain place or just open a certain conversation. Like why not take the risk and go ahead and try it? Um, some years ago I was out shopping and I try to just make a practice of saying each day, like, God, I'm available. Like if you want me to do something, give me a nudge and I'll follow. And I was walking through the shopping center back to my car and I suddenly had the impulse to like turn around and walk in the opposite direction away from my car. And I thought this is such like a strange like feeling of something to do, but I said, God, I'm available. So I'm just going to try it. Um, so I, I started walking in the other direction and walked for about two minutes and suddenly heard this voice calling my name. Um, and it turned out there was a, a table full of people who were sitting outside a restaurant on the other side of the parking lot. And they said, hey, Megan, we were sitting here talking about Jesus and we had this really big question we were struggling with. And we thought Megan would be the person we should talk to about this. And then we just saw you standing in the parking lot. Um, so this is how the spirit works, right? Like it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't magical. It was just like, a, maybe I should go left instead of right. So I think so much of it is just like relying, like, like say a prayer, come Holy Spirit, I'm available and just follow the nudge and show up. That's so great. Yeah, and even just scripture, like what does it already say in here and doing those <laughs> yeah. things and asking for the spirit to help you when you are doing those yeah. things. Oh, this has been so fantastic. And friends, we don't have to, this is not the very end. We're gonna be continuing on in the after party uh, coming up at noon Eastern time. But I also just wanna say thank you to both of you for taking the time to share with our you know, giant Jesus collective community from our unique perspectives of where we're from. So thank you so much, Oshida. Thank you, Megan. And just a reminder, if you wanna learn any more about Jesus Collective, you can go to jesuscollective.com. But Megan, I wanna leave you with the last word before we wrap up. Yeah, I think I just want to leave everyone with the best piece of advice I've ever received from a pastor of mine in college who used to say over and over, um, do what won't make any sense unless God is real and going to show up. Um, this is what the life of faith is about. This is what following Jesus is. Like live the way, do the thing that won't make any sense unless God is real and going to show up. Amen, amen. Thank you all for being a part of our service today, whether you are here or tuning into the live stream. We are thankful for the family of God that we have amongst us. If you have prayer needs and you are here, uh, we will have prayer partners up front for you to come to and they would love to join you in prayer. If you are joining in the live stream, we don't want you to miss out on that opportunity so you too can join with a prayer partner and just share your heart and share your need and they would love to come together with you in agreement in prayer. You can do that on our website. We also want to remind you that we discuss Sunday Sermon on the Musecast every Tuesday afternoon, and we invite you to tune in and check it out. People do send in questions. Something that they heard in the sermon kind of sparked something for them, and so we do try to answer questions when they come in, so please check that out online as well. You can also participate in a gathering group where they will discuss the sermon in smaller groupings online, which is 
so great. So we get to be with people from across the country and across the world. It's really a fun time just to dig a little deeper into the things that we're learning and hearing about here on Sundays. If you are here and you've got kiddos that you want them to be blessed by the children's ministry, please remember to hold your spot. You can also do that where? Online, because that's where all the things happen. So don't forget to hold your spot for your kiddos so they can be a part of the ministry, uh, children's ministry next week. We hope to see you all again next Sunday. Until then, have a wonderful week. Go in peace, everyone. Be blessed. Thank you so much.